The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Well, if you want to know about queer activism, Target is leading the way. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. You know what I enjoy with the music that leads in the show every day from our friends at Skillet by John Cooper? They're on the front lines using their music to bring a similar message to what we bring. Uh, John and I are often in touch and, and sharing hearts and sharing notes because they burn in the same way to impact this world with the truth of the gospel, to swim against the tide, to go against the grain to lift Jesus up. And that's where we're here, friends, to infuse you with faith and truth and courage and, and help you stand by your side. Take your hands and say, come on, let's stand strong together in God. And boy, what a day to be on the front lines. 866-34-TRUTH. This is Michael Brown. Welcome to the broadcast. We are going to dive into a number of highly controversial subjects, but they relate to the world that we live in. We're not just stirring up trouble. We're not just stirring up controversy. This is the world that we live in. This is the world that your kids live in, your grandkids live in. This is the world that is being experienced in school, on the university campus, in the workplace. This is the world that is being experienced on internet, second by second, all around us. And therefore, we who are called to shine like lights in the darkness, that's what Paul writes in Philippians 2. It's not just the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, you're the light of the world. But Paul writes that we shine like lights, like stars in the midst of this dark world. So we're going to help you shine better. Let's do what we can to get our lamps burning brighter and brighter. If you have a question and that relates in any way to what we're talking about today on the line of fire, give me a call, 866 866- Three four eight seven eight eight four. So once I hit on a topic, if you want to weigh in, or if you differ with me, if you're a listener, whether you identify as Christian or not, and you differ with me, let's have a friendly discussion. You say, I don't want to be friendly with you. Well, fine. You don't have to be friendly, but I'll be friendly. 866-348-7884. And as always, as we have time, if you have a question on any subject under the sun, that you want to ask me about, completely off topic. If we have time to take your call, by all means, we will. 866-34-TRUTH. Before we talk about Target, I want to talk about something very sad to see, but inevitable, not surprising at all, in the life of Jen Hatmaker. I was not familiar with Jen at all. She was a best-selling Christian author, large online following, very popular blogger. But I was completely unfamiliar with her, not because she wasn't that popular, but just because I didn't know her. There are a lot of fine people out there doing fine things I didn't know about at all. Well, in 2016, she and her husband Brandon put out a video. And in this video, they talked about their shifting views now on LGBT issues. They spoke in a compassionate way. Uh, Brandon seemed full of love in what he said. They've really wrestled with these issues, uh, read a number of books, referenced mine, Can You Be Gay and Christian? But now they've shifted their views to accept same-sex relations. 
And uh, then, so I, I'll, I'll come to it in a moment. I wrote an open letter to them, especially because they'd referenced my book. He'd referenced my book. Then uh, the next year, the Nashville statement on, on sexuality was released, just reaffirming simple things that the Bible said. Why was it called the Nashville statement? Because the drafters of the statement did it in Nashville. And when that was released, she reacted against it in very strong terms. So I wrote another letter then. Well, haven't really heard much about them over the years. Sadly, they, they divorced. Their oldest daughter came out as lesbian. So these are some of the things that transpired in the years that, that followed, sadly. Uh, but now, most recently, she was back in the news saying that she supported Roe v. Wade. She supported abortion. And all the standard talking points, even the words reproductive rights, were in her text and in her blog. In fact, the, the blog is called My Thoughts on, hang on, just got me blocked here for a second. There we go. My Thoughts on the Roe v. Wade Reversal. This came out May 4th. So I wrote another article following up. I'm going to interact with some of her words in a moment. But let me say again, this was no surprise. Why? Because you're on a trajectory. Here, let me ask you a question. Let's say you live in Charlotte, North Carolina. Right now, we're not that far from Charlotte. Let's say you live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you start driving 30 miles an hour on the highway on Interstate 85. You start driving 30 miles an hour straight south away from Charlotte. Well, after an hour, you'll be 60 miles away, right? And, and, and after 10 hours, you'll be, or excuse me, if you're going 30 miles an hour, after an hour, you'll be 30 miles away. After 10 hours, you'll be 300 miles away. If you're just going straight south, further and further and further away, there, there's no mystery there. There's no like, how, Dr. Brown, how did you figure that out? No, no, it's, you're just going in a certain direction, all right? If you're overeating and gaining a pound a week and you keep overeating steadily, you keep gaining a pound a week, well, at the end of the year, you've gained over 50 pounds. Dr. Brown, you're a genius. No, you don't need to be a genius. Anyone can see it. So there is a spiritual trajectory away from the authority of Scripture, away from the plain teaching of the word, away from values that have been held almost universally by Christians for millennia, right? For a couple of millennia. And it is ultimately an identifying more with a human cause and saying this is the solution as opposed to identifying more with the Lord who made humans and say we believe God's solution is best for human beings. So I wrote an open letter to Brandon and Jen Hatmaker on homosexuality and the Bible. This was posted November 5th, 2016. November 5th, 2016, an open letter to Brandon and Jen Hatmaker on homosexuality in the Bible. And I appreciate their their heart and tell them that you could see that they were full of love and, and what they had said and read Brandon's lengthy post on Facebook explaining how he came to his beliefs. So in my article... I'm going to refute point by point the wrong points that they raise. But I, I also raised this, uh, made these points to them, okay? I'm just going to come towards the end of my article. 
And and here's here's what I said, and it's 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 fairly fairly lengthy, in depth, interacting, and and I wrote this. It won't surprise me, in the days to come. Remember, it's November 2016. If one, in times of conflict between the church and the LGBT community, you consistently take the side of LGBTs, even siding against your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Two, you embrace more and more aspects of gay activism including transgender activism. Three, you begin to broaden your circles of fellowship, embracing more liberal, quote, Christians who deny key aspects of the historic faith. And four, if I'm right about the first three, after a number of years, perhaps even a decade or more, in the name of, quote, grace, you'll begin to inch towards a form of universalism. At the very least, in the name of grace, your congregational standards of holiness will soon be compromised. In other words, you're going in a direction, and it's, it's as inevitable as driving away from a certain city. Each hour you're driving, you're getting further away. It's just that inevitable. You are going in this direction. Now, friends, I've watched this for decades. I have seen a denomination that started off believing the Bible, started off strongly committed to high standards of holiness affirmed clear teaching on sexuality and things like that. So they were strongly pro-family, of course, affirming marriage as the union of a man and woman wasn't debated. They were pro-life. They recognized the value of the baby in the womb and saw how abortion brought with it a larger culture of death. And because the promises of the word were clear, they stood with Israel. As the years go on, it's, I've watched it time after time after time with groups, denominations, individuals. You see them shift their views on all three. They become pro-gay activists, they become pro-abortion, and they become so strongly pro-Palestinian that they become anti-Israel. It's, it's a trajectory, and it's getting away from God's perspective and going to a human perspective instead of saying God's perspective is best for everyone. So then the next year, uh, this is now August of 2017. I wrote an article entitled Gen Hatmakers, A Rational Response to a Christian Manifesto on Sexuality. Gen Hatmakers, A Rational Response to a Christian Manifesto on Sexuality. And I mean, it's, it's a statement that could be as, as basic as could be. Uh, you know, she tweeted in response, if the fruit of doctrine regularly and consistently creates shame, self-harm, suicide, and broken hearts, families, and churches, we should listen. Um, and the fruit of the Nashville statement, she said, is suffering rejection, shame, and despair, adding the timing is callous beyond words. Well, she was trying to tie it in with Charlottesville and alt-right there, which was 1,000 million percent unrelated, completely unrelated. And which you have to remember is, is that this statement is as basic as could be. I, I mean, as basic and fundamental, affirming male and female identity, affirming marriage as the union of a man and a woman, affirming sexual purity outside of marriage, within marriage, etc. So I, I wrote this uh, warning at the end. Uh, I said, the very sad fall of Jen Hatmaker, for whom we pray, is a striking illustration of the power of spiritual deception. Once you embrace the first lie, it's much easier to embrace the other lies which get bigger and uglier by the day. 
May God awaken those deceived by LGBT theology, and may he strengthen those who are taking a stand for biblical truth. So to repeat, is it any surprise now that she is pro-abortion? I don't say this to condemn her. We still pray for her repentance and return to the Lord. Oh, last year she said, hey, I've quit church. You should also go into a church. And interestingly, I did a search in the blog she wrote about why she supports abortion. Search for the word Bible, Christian, God, Jesus. None of them there. Is that any surprise? No. Very sad. Very sad. Because she still has a good following. And I'm not saying in every way she's an evil woman. She may be thinking she's on the side of compassion, but boy, boy, is she missing God here deeply, deeply, and siding with the killing of the unborn in the womb. Wow. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome, friends, to The Line of Fire. Great to be with you. Thanks for joining us on the broadcast today. 866-34-TRUTH. Let me address something very important that I'm going to be talking about a lot in the days ahead. There are some ex-gay Christians that I know, and they talked about during the time of, of AIDS that gay men were absolutely terrified. Here you have this plague, and what's it, they're just dying, and it's a mysterious disease, and it's primarily affecting gay men, and they're dying these horrible deaths. They were terrified. They, they were staring death in the face at an epidemic level. And what were they hearing from the church at that time? This is judgment on you for being homosexual. This is judgment on you for your perverted sexual practices. Now, at the moment that it was happening, it seemed so obvious. Like, of course, that's what's happening. And obviously, it was a fruit of their promiscuity and the fact that God did not make men to be with men. That's why it spread especially among gay men. So I remember as this was happening, it seemed so obvious that this was a divine judgment on gay men. How are you not going to say it? It seems so obvious and clear. The question was, were they hearing a message of the love of God for them, that Jesus died for them, that they could get right with God before they died, that perhaps they could even be healed, that God was reaching out to them? Even if this was the fruit of their lifestyle, which it undoubtedly was, and even if there was divine judgment in it, were they hearing a message of the love of God at this time that they were very vulnerable and, and very fearful and very much thinking about death and eternity? So one ex-gay friend said that the church missed an incredible opportunity then to reach out. And, you know, I was thinking back to it, it's like, yeah, but it just seems so clear. This is judgment and so on. And yeah, but in the midst of that, you come with a message to individuals speaking of the love of God and the goodness of God and, and the fact that this is not his goal or desire or intent for you, that there is forgiveness and mercy to be had at the cross, no matter what's happened 
and that you could die and be right with God and receive forgiveness before you leave this world, or as you live on, live in right relationship with him in, in repentance. So I've been thinking about that in terms of Roe v. Wade now. So we are countering the talking points of uh, pro-choice, pro-abortion people. We are pushing back against some of the extreme policies that the Biden administration wants to push on the nation, wants to aggressively codify Roe v. Wade and make it the law of the land by Congress, all right? So the Supreme Court could overrule, it doesn't matter, it's the law of the land by Congress. So, and by the way, you should, you should not be surprised that President Biden is doing this because he said he would. For all of you who say, well, I'm pro-life, I voted for him. <laughs> I can only tell you if you believed he would be different, you've been duped, duped, duped. He made clear where he was going with this. He made clear that he was shifting further to the left. Even during the presidential primary debates, he made his views absolutely plain. And, and, and I wrote open letters challenging those who said we are pro-life Christian leaders voting for Joe Biden. I said, that's completely bogus, bogus. And then they were surprised. Some said, we're so surprised by what he's doing. What? No, there's no reason to be surprised. That would be like I voted for Donald Trump and I was surprised that he sent out nasty tweets. I thought he would change. No, this is who he is. This new President Biden is. So we're so actively pushing against this that we forget how many women are terribly fearful now. How many women in America are thinking, oh, no, what's going to happen to me? And what if, what if I get pregnant unintentionally, you know, with my boyfriend and, or, or, or my husband, you know, and, and now what, I've got to drive for hours to another state or maybe get some back alley abortion with a, with a you know, a, a, a hanger or something like that, a, you know, metal hanger. And is that what I'm going to have to, you know, and, and there's a lot of fear. And what's going to happen next? So you say, well, yeah, well, just don't get prayed. Well, just, it's, it, hey, it's a baby. It's a gift. Okay, okay, I know we have answers. But let's remember to look for opportunities to reach out with compassion, especially other women, to take other women by the hand and say, hey, I understand this is very disconcerting to you, but can we just talk about like what happens with pregnancy? Can we just talk about that? Can we talk about the baby in the womb? You have thought about, can we look at some ultrasound pictures together? And can you understand why some people really believe about we've got to prioritize the the well-being of that baby? Yeah, I know your body, your choice, but there's a body inside your body. What, what What about that little one? And then to say, hey, look, there are so many organizations that want to help you. And there are people that want to adopt babies. They would love to find a home for your, for, for your child or, or provide a home. And, and look, if you want to have the baby, but you, you're, you're unstable in your finances, there's some organizations that will work with you. But let's, you know, just in either way, either case, just reach out to someone with the love of God. Because many are concerned and then things are, are beaten to a fever pitch, a fever pitch. All right, so... Uh, Jen Hatmaker uses some of these arguments. Her thoughts on the Roe v. Wade reversal. I've sat quietly with the leaked news of the Roe v. Wade reversal for two days, spent some time in panicked group texts with my closest women and colleagues. So obviously the people she's with, now, as I said in the earlier article, she's going to be more and more and more with those with liberal viewpoints, more and more 
with those who don't share fundamental biblical values. All right? Um, she said, listen and watch and try to get centered before offering anything to my community because my first reaction to something this big is generally emotional and half-baked. There are a dozen terrifying implications here, the destabilization and politicization, politicization of the Supreme Court, overturning settled law with double uh, precedent stands out, etc. But what I want to focus on is the immediate disproportionate harm this will cause women and not just emotional harm, physical and legal harm. And, and she goes through, you know, the standard talking points. You know, women are, are having abortions because of rape. Women are having abortions because of incest. Women are having abortions because of the viability of the baby. Women are having abortions because of, of threats to their own health. That's true, but that's the tiniest percentage of abortions. That's the tiniest percentage. Some would say up to 2% are abortions because of rape or incest. Most surveys that I've st- uh, studied or or data that's been compiled on this suggest it's less than 1%. What's an important 1%? That's, that's an incredibly difficult issue. And I don't claim to put myself in the shoes of a woman on any of these, uh, in any of these cases. And I, I let pro-life women do the talking on this. I, I let them express their voices and I can quote them and share their thoughts. But the reality is abortions due to rape and incest basically are less than 1%. Abortions to save the health of the mother are the tiniest part of 1%. And many would say it's never necessary that, that what you do is you deliver the baby if the baby's delivered prematurely. You, you try to fight for the lives of both, right? And if you have to deliver the baby to save the life of the mother, if it's premature, that baby's life may be lost, but you never just abort to save the life of the mother. In any case, even if you admit that there's some cases like that, you're, you're talking, you're talking less than 1% there, a fraction of 1%. And then abortions because the baby's not going to make it. Well, here's a question. And again, that's a small percent. The vast majority are just choices that are made. Economic choices, career choices, convenience choices, emotional choices, but either way, choices that are made based on we just don't want to have another baby now, right? Can't see having another baby. We can't afford another baby or it's too much emotional stress for me to have another baby. Not rape, incest, or the health of the mother or even the viability of the baby. And when you go a little further, that the viability issues have changed dramatically since the days of Roe v. Wade in 73 so that babies are viable at younger ages now because of medical advances. And then on top of that, if you say, no, 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 I'm talking about a baby that's severely disabled. And you can tell by, by all the sonograms and ultrasounds and everything that this baby is severely disabled. And if this baby lives, it'll live maybe a year. And then even at that, we'll, we'll suffer greatly and we'll, we'll uh, you know, be in agony and massive medical bills. All right, so you want to save the baby from pain and the parents from the agony of watching their child suffer. Why is it okay to terminate that baby, say, eight months in the womb? It's totally clear this is what's going on in late-term pregnancy, late-term abortion. This is when it's justified, a case like this. Why not terminate the baby when it's one day old? Now it's, it's out of the womb, 
by that same logic. God forbid, God forbid, God forbid. But by that same logic, why not say, well, look, after 30 days, it's hopeless. This baby is going to suffer terribly. It's going to be a million dollars in medical bills just to keep it alive for six months or eight months. And this is going to die a painful death. Why not spare it? Because we don't do that. Because we don't simply say only the healthy and the strong have a right to be here or a right to survive. So in the same way we don't do it outside the womb, we don't do it inside the womb. In any case, all the standard talking points in Jen Hatmaker's article and nothing that even deals with the reality of that life in the womb, precious in God's sight. I've written an article in response. Check it out at askdrbrown.org. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. Some years ago, I had a colleague on the air who has been sacrificially standing against wrong trends in our society for many years. He's been maligned for it. He's been libeled for it. He's had to sacrifice money for it. Just it's almost like a fruitless battle. And I said to him, why don't you just stop? Now, I, I didn't think he should stop, but I said to him, why don't you just stop? And he said, he said, I'll stop when they stop. In other words, we are responding to activist agenda coming against us, which has massively affected our kids and our grandkids. And it behooves us to speak and to address these things. And that's our goal, as your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Here's the number to call on any subject we talk about today or anything you want to talk to me about. 866-348-7884. Before I go to the phones, remember a few years back, there was a big outcry with Toys R Us, which were the biggest toy stores at that time because they decided they were going to go gender neutral, right? So rather than having here's boys' toys and girls' toys, no, you just mingle them in together. And Target did a similar thing in their stores. They're going to be gender neutral. And then, then they said they're going to make their bathrooms gender neutral. Remember this. So they're just kind of leading the way in gay activism. Somehow the woke agenda gets in there. Somehow people in leadership think this is the way to go. I mean, Disney's learning the hard way. This is not the way to go. Don't, don't, don't cater to the fringe radical perspective and, and stay out of the political fray and just entertain children. But no, they had to buy into the talking points and activist goals of LGBTQ activism. And now it's hard to see a movie without there's going to be some innuendo or some message put forth. And now they made themselves very clear on where they stand on Florida's education bill. I mean, think of the Walt Disney Corporation. Think of this massive company in which for so many years put out so, so many beloved movies and classics and great, clean, 
beautiful entertainment for children and sometimes with good moral lessons, etc. But they're up in arms over the thought that in Florida, from grades kindergarten to third grade, that you cannot talk about sexuality or gender identity. They're up in arms over this. Who can imagine this? So Target, just in keeping with who they've been for years, is now saying, hey, Gay Pride Month coming next month, and we're going to have a lot of queer celebration. So just just check this out here for a second, all right? Uh, oh, let's see here. Um, Target store, gender neutral, pride. These are shirts that they have. There's the Pride Adult Queer Short Sleeve T-shirt. There's the Pride Adult Busy Thinking About Girls. This is a girl wears. This is a lesbian shirt. And we'll just have a bunch of images running as I'm talking for those watching. Uh, Pride Adult Got Milk Short Sleeve T-shirt. Let's see. You've got, I mean, you've got different ones with, with two women and stuff like that. Oh, how about this one? Pride Adult Bob the Drag Queen. Oh, isn't that sweet? Oh, and now you've got, for little children, here's a toddler. Pride toddler, trans rights. Yeah, and and on and on. Uh, How about this one? The Pride Pronouns Collection. Makes it easy for all ages to express their solidarity to the LGBTQIA plus community. Collection feels... Features pride-inspired clothing in both adult and kids' sizes, such as T-shirts. You've got T-shirts for kids. She, he, they, them, you know, the multiple pronouns, and on and on it goes. On and on it goes. Now, I'm not telling you what to do with Target. That's between you and God. Nor do I think that I had the power to hurt Target, nor do I have any desire to hurt Target. Just think. You should be aware of what they push, what they put forward. You say, well, I'm not going to buy this stuff. Fine. Obviously, right? If you share my convictions, I'm going to buy it. Um, And I'm not saying I would never, ever shop in a Target because store after store after store you go to, there's some of the things. But I have avoided shopping there for the most part because they've been so overt about these things. You say, what's the big deal? The big deal is that the constant bombardment has changed the thinking of young people in particular, the normalization of queer. When I wrote A Queer Thing Happened to America in 2011, Christian publishers were like, no, no, I can't, I, you know, we can't publish that, the, the word queer, and it's too controversial. It's like, this is mainstream. 2003 articles saying queers become mainstream. Remember Queer Eye for the Straight Guy? That was ages ago. Everything queer, 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 queer children, gender queer for elementary school children. This has just been normalized. Well, we're like, well, we can't talk about it. But this, is the, this is happening in the world around us. And while we say, well, we, we don't want to get into controversial issues, just preach the Bible. Well, the Bible talks about sexuality. And the Bible talks about the meaning of marriage. And the Bible forbids homosexual practice. So the Bible deals with these things and then calls us to be the salt of the earth. And part of that means being a moral conscience. A few years back... I posted on Facebook, I said, hey, I know what God's called me to do, and I'm not asking you to tell me what God's called me to do, but I want to know from your perspective, are we helping you addressing cultural issues, moral issues, even political issues? In other words, I'm not saying, should I do it or not? Tell me. I'm saying, 
I know the Lord has called me to do this. One of the three R's of our ministry, the first R, revival. Revival in the church, that's the key. Healthy church, thriving church, everything flows out of that. And out of a healthy church, a gospel-based moral and cultural revolution, second R. And then thirdly, the ultimate R that we strive for, redemption in Israel, salvation of the Jewish people. So we're engaged in all three R's all the time. But it's kind of that middle R I was focusing on. And I said, is this helping you? Would you rather that I continue to speak on these things as part of our Bible teaching and larger ministry? Or would you rather that I don't? I just want to know your perspective. I was overwhelmed. I recently looked at some of that thread the other day. It was over 3,000 comments. I was overwhelmed by person after person saying, Dr. Brown, please speak up. Please don't stop. It's essential. Hardly anyone else is doing it the way you're doing it or very few are doing it or more need to do it. Please don't stop. Please don't stop. Your voice is important. Your vo- I mean, if you talk about needing affirmation, just once in a lifetime to get that. So I didn't need it to know what God had called me to do, but it was tremendously encouraging to realize that we were meeting a need. We were meeting a need by God's grace. And this is the world we live in. So Gallup poll says that 20% of Gen Z young people identify as someone in the LGBTQ spectrum, whereas my generation, baby boomers, it's 2.8%. How'd that happen? A Barna poll, so Generation Z, Gen Z, young people, 40% identify as LGBTQ, somewhere on the spectrum. What? I hear it constantly from Christian friends. My kids come out as gay, raised in the faith. My 16-year-old daughter believes she's a boy, raised in the faith. This is the world we live in. So we're going to keep reminding you, and we're going to keep preaching the truth. Jesus died for every human being. Every human being is created in the image of God. Every human being is fallen in need of redemption. And whoever you are, whatever your background, whatever your sexual or identity or romantic inclinations are, you need to be born again and start a brand new life of obedience to God. And you can do it through the blood of Jesus. And every sin you've ever committed, every wrong deed, every shameful act that you don't want anyone to know about, every single one of those things has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. And if you'll turn to him, you can start a brand new life. That is our message, and we will not stop proclaiming it. 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, Let us go to Jim in Greensboro, North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Thank you. Good afternoon, Dr. Brown. Good afternoon. If I'm not mistaken, last week, Thursday, you had someone on your show who has written the book Hollywood Hero. Yeah, that was last Tuesday. That was last Tuesday. Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Despite the fact I did not get to hear the entire broadcast, I would like to submit a comment. Sure. The comment is this. Like many people, I've seen good and evil in many of the TV westerns, Gunsmoke, Cheyenne, Rawhide, and the like. The difference with the Hollywood heroes and the westerns is this. The hero or savior with a small s always lives for the next time to do good and fight the evil wherever he finds it, or it finds him. Got it, got it. So, Jim, the, the thesis, of course, of, of Frank Turek's book is not that Hollywood Frank is... Tur- 
Yeah, Frank Frank and Turek and his son. Yeah, T U R E K. T U R E K. Frank and Zach Turek, father and son, wrote the book. So, uh, Jim, the thesis of Frank and Zach was not that Hollywood is trying to glorify the Lord or lift up Jesus, but rather that the the craving for a superhero, the craving for supernatural, the craving to see good triumph over evil, the craving to see a real hero who will sacrifice himself or herself for the greater good, that that's what human beings want, and that's ultimately what only Jesus can do and only Jesus can bring. So because our culture is filled with these images, because millions of people watch these movies, Spider-Man and Wonder Woman and Iron Man and others, that this is a way for us to talk to people and say, hey, you watch this movie, and what is it, what is it you like about Captain America? Yeah, you know, but, but he's, like, he's make-believe. Let me tell you someone whose morals are infinitely higher and who sacrificed himself for our good, that's Jesus. You know this whole Harry Potter thing and wizardry? And, no, no, no. That's all just make-believe and counterfeit. But there is a real power, and, and there is a real evil. There is a real devil, and it's Jesus who triumphs. So it was as a witnessing tool. So you could use similar themes from old westerns and things like that, except here you have a superhero to say, no, no, there's only one real superhero, and his name is Jesus. Hey, Jim, thanks for weighing in. Again, Frank and Zach Turek, Hollywood Heroes. We will be right back. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. Boy, we just sent out some really neat updates today, some of our latest resources, some short videos that we put out. You say, oh, I didn't know about it. Oh, that's because you don't get my emails. So, Take a moment, go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Sign up for the emails. When you do, I've got a really neat mini book I want to send you, an e-book on how to pray for America. And then we'll share more about my testimony from LSD to PhD. And best of all, when we send out these updates, you'll be the first to know. All right, before I go back to the phones, which I'm going to do momentarily, we are constantly hearing from people struggling in their faith and 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 either people themselves or loved ones. And, you know, my husband no longer believes what he used to believe or or my daughter's turned away from the Lord or we don't know what to do with the question. So we've got a great resource for you. Just take a listen and then we'll come back and go to your calls. Are you struggling in your faith? Do you have doubts and questions and you really don't know where to go with them? Or maybe you have a friend or loved one that's completely fallen away from the Lord. Well, friends, we've got a great resource for you. Has God failed you, finding faith when you're not even sure God is real. This is the book that is a first aid kit for for seekers and strugglers and doubters. 
and ask the difficult questions. What happens when prayer doesn't seem to work? What happens when that loved one we're praying for isn't healed? And what about those passages in the Old Testament? It looks like God is an angry, vengeful God. What do we do with those? There's even a whole chapter called Permission to Doubt. And and what can we learn from the book of Job? And what's unique about this book is we invite the questions and then we speak to the heart without bypassing the mind. As you read this book, faith will rise inside of you. As you read this book, confidence and hope will be restored. As you read this book, questions will be answered and your mind will be at ease. And this could really be the lifeline for a loved one that has fallen away from the Lord. So order your copy of Has God Failed You today? AskDrBrown.org. That's A-S-K-D-R-Brown.org. Order today. And when you do, I want to give you free instant access to a powerful video I preached on why so many Christians are leaving the faith. So order Has God Failed You Today at AskDrBrown.org. And we continue to be blessed as we're hearing from readers of the book uh, how it is ministered to them, how it's refreshed them, renewed them, how it's given them hope, and how they're they're getting the book to give out to others that are struggling. So AskDrBrown.org. You'll see it right on the homepage. Okay, we go back to the phones uh, Robert in Mountain, Texas, thanks for joining the line of fire. Now, Dr. Brown, I've read a bunch of books on music, uh, including most recently yours. And uh, my ultimate question is, I think, what is your experience after flushing your soul for 50 years intently, uh, getting the rock music out of it? Uh, where are you today? Does rock music still resonate? Uh, the symphonic music, uh, Tchaikovsky, Bach, uh, Beethoven resonate more now than they did before. Uh, could you uh, yeah. share your experience of where you are now? Sure thing, Robert. And, and the book you're referring to is The Power of Music, God's Call to Change the World, One Song at a Time. A lot of people were surprised I wrote it, but that's been a great interest to me for, for decades. So let me say first that when I got saved, I completely separated from rock music, from Hendrix and Zeppelin and all the bands I listened to. I destroyed a lot of the albums that I had because for me, it was a direct link to my sinful past and it was the open door to my sinful past. It was seeing Hendrix in concert at 13 and, and the doors not long after that and just immersing myself in rock music that tied in directly with drugs, rebellion, etc. So for me... I couldn't really listen to it objectively or say, wow, that's a beautiful song by the Beatles or, wow, this is, you know, good musicianship. So I completely separated from it for, for almost 30 years, actually. That's, that's the first thing. I can listen to old music now in a totally different way. In other words, I can appreciate the musicianship or I can recognize, wow, it looks like they were on a spiritual search. So I can enjoy it musically because I'm detached from from the whole sinful pull of it. But obviously, I'm not going to sit around and, and just listen to old rock music, you know, for hours or anything like that. Uh, as for classical, when I was in college, I started as a music major. And I was required to uh, go to a few concerts. Uh, I was required to listen to various symphonies. So my appreciation was enhanced, but never really... I never really became 
super into classical music. So I, I can appreciate the beauty and the, the artistry, but I've never been into that. So primarily it's been worship music that I really enjoy, songs that exalt the Lord, whether it's joyful celebration, whether it's you know something like the Revelation song. So that's some of my favorite music to this moment. Uh, and then the Christians that, that played aggressively, like Keith Green and his old music and Phil Kage, I used to love listening to that. I became aware of Skillet, so they've got the music coming in and out of my show every day, uh, only in the last <clears throat> couple years. So I, I enjoy a lot of their songs. If, if there is a rock sound, but it's lifting up Jesus and, and the people in the midst of it love the Lord, I can enjoy some of that as, as well because it's some of the music that I enjoyed. It's some of the feel, but it's clean, it's godly, it's pointing in a right direction. Uh, but if, if there's only one thing I could ever listen to, obviously I would listen to, to worship music. But if it's just for, like if, if I just want to celebrate and jump and hop and dance around the room, then it's, it's got some drive and force and vigor to it. And, uh, you know, I, I, can, I can do that. I can really have a blast listening to, say, Feel Invincible by Skillet. You know, just like some old Keith Green stuff, it resonates with me in a certain way. Um, but, yeah, and that, that's, that's my long answer to your short question. Okay, well, thank you. I was just trying to gauge my own journey where I was and where I needed to go. And, and uh, I, you know, every now and then a, a, a rock song, I'll go in a store and I, the song still resonates. And yeah. The background of the song, song as well as the artist and it. Troubles and, me a little bit. And I thought, well, I'd see what your journey was. Yeah. So uh, here's I'll here's the thing, Robert. Uh, I think keep plugging, get serious about God. Yeah. I I I believe honestly that we can step back and listen to it objectively, and it does take us back in time. I never could figure this out, sir. I would I would wonder why is it when I hear some old song from the old days, right? Just what happened to be in a store or on the radio you know, just a four-hour drive and I'm switching around and I hear some old song. It's like, it it brought me back somewhere and I had a sadness with it. And I was like, why is that? When I started focusing on the revolution theme in the late 90s and trying to understand cultural revolutions and how they took place in society, I went back to the 60s and I realized that that so many books were written on the counterculture revolution. I thought of the 60s, sex, drugs, rock and roll, Eastern religion, rebellion, and I forgot, because I was so young, right, you know, born in 55, how ideologically driven much of the 60s were, you know, the anti-war movement and various things like that and sexual revolution. And I realized when I go back and listen to this old music that it reminded me of the search that we were often on. It, it reminded me of how lost this generation was. And, and when I went back and listened again and saw the way people threw themselves into it, and I thought, that's, that's the way you're supposed to throw yourself into God and, and the things of, things of the Lord. So to this day, I can put on something from the past. And if the words are not sinful and the movements are not sinful, I can appreciate it for what it was and recognize the lostness of that moment. And, that, and, and the other thing is there are just some tunes that are great tunes, beautiful tunes, you know, part of the gift of music. And, and there, there are some lyrics 
that are catchy, you know, and, and you could listen to an old Beatles ballad and say, well, that's, that's really beautiful, or an old love song. It doesn't mean that everything about every bit of old music from our past is sinful, but anything that gets us in a sinful frame of mind, we must avoid. Anything that pulls on our flesh, we must avoid. Any, anything that dulls our spiritual senses, we must avoid. And that's why, like I said, I'm not going to sit around and just listen to rock music the way I used to in the past. But I can, I can sit with musicians and say, hey, let's look at this from the past. Or best of all, I teach students and I teach about the shift in the 60s and the counterculture revolution and how the enemy got in. I said, now let's watch it illustrated here in music and eyes are opened profoundly. Hey, thank you, sir, for the call and may the Lord continue to work his grace into your life. One more invitation, friends, as I've been doing the end of the shows most days to join our support team so together we can reach more and more people. I love to share with our supporters what God is doing because to me, it's a joint effort. I get to be the tip of the spear, but there's a whole team taking that spear and throwing it forward to further pierce the darkness. So thanks for your participation. Thanks for being part of our support team. And let me invite you to join us a dollar a day. Go to askdrbrown.org, click on donate monthly. But as I always say, before you do, look at all the ways that we want to pour back into you every month. May the smile of God be upon you. May you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. May you become more like him every day. And may you make him known like never before. Another program powered by the Truth Network.